Wow. Well, I'm glad y'all are here tonight. And so I want you to uh, get your Bibles out. And I want you to go to Romans chapter 1, please. Okay, I want to get right into to just teaching tonight and, and preaching and whatever else the Holy Ghost wants. But um, so, you know, we've been, we talked, we preached Sunday about seeds and about growing seeds and growing seeds in our heart. Um, and we talked a little bit about this last week. And so I want to just talk to you tonight. And first thing I got to say is the Holy Ghost told me to tell everybody that, you know, the worst thing you can do is get under condemnation. All right? So be aware of that. And anything that's going on, anything that the Holy Ghost is revealing to you, anything you're teaching, you know, you're showing you got some bad seeds, you know, the Holy Ghost shows you got some, some weeds growing or whatever, don't get under condemnation about it. Because I want to tell you something, the Lord loves when people are moving forward. All right? I mean, you know, he's excited about that. He doesn't care that you got a weed patch. He doesn't care that you've got a garden full of cuckaburs, you know. He's just glad you're getting them out, right? Because he just wants to have more relationship with you, more fellowship with you, more in life, in, uh, you know, of everything with you. And so, he, you know, it's all good. Amen? Does everybody say it's all good? It's all good. So be careful about that because I told you the enemy wants to come in and steal the seed immediately. And so every time you learn something, he wants to steal it. So condemnation is one of the, his biggest tools, and the Holy Ghost has told me that to tell y'all, don't get under condemnation. Don't let it affect you. Just say, huh, well, thanks for reminding me. Lord, I praise you. I'm forgiven. Amen? So uh, I want to show you this about words, words being the word of God, the truth of God's word being seed. I want to show you a different little vein tonight. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first and also the Greeks. Now, let's just look at this for a second. A lot of times we, we, we just brush over this one. But it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now what? The gospel means the good news of Christ, right? So he's talking about the, 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 the word being sent out that Jesus is risen from the dead. He's the son of God. Right, the proof of that, the cross, what he did. That's what he's talking about. That's the good news of Christ, right? So what's the good news? It's words, right? I'm not ashamed of the, the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. How's it the power of God? Because it doesn't mean the resurrection is the power of God. He says the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who... Wow. There's that whole principle that we've been talking about. You hear the word, you sow the word in your heart, then you begin to believe the word, and the moment you, once you get that revelational faith and you kick over into that word, the truth of God's word, you believe it, it becomes the power of God, the power of salvation in your life. Now, I grew up in church. I heard about Jesus. But it wasn't until the moment that I truly made Jesus the Lord of my life, that moment in that barn, that experience I had when I cried out to Jesus for the first time, and I said, I believe it. What happened? 
The seeds. I, listen to me. I, I, I guarantee you, my grandmother prayed for me all the time. She knew I was a heathen. Sometimes I think my mother was kind of just like uh, blinded. But my grandmother, she's, she's a good old Baptist lady, man. She's a prayer warrior. She prayed for me and prayed for me and prayed for me. And all of a sudden, all those seeds that I heard in church, Jesus, heaven, gospel, forgiveness, the, whatever, those seeds that have just been floating around all over, that day at that moment, at that time when I really cried out to Jesus the first time, I said, you know, Jesus, if you're real, I want to know you. And I meant it. My, something happened. That seed took place in my heart. I believed it, Right? And it became the power of salvation, the forgiveness of my sin, the entering into the kingdom of God. I didn't change physical locations, but something I knew happened on the inside of me, right? All of us sitting in here tonight, you have a testimony like this, something I hope you do. You have a testimony like this of the power of God coming into your life, and you know it. That same principle happened to you because seeds were sown in you somehow, whether they were seeds sown, whatever, whoever did it, however it was, whether it was in church, out of church, a, a, a relative, a friend, somebody, something had to get, because how could you get saved if you never heard the word? If you didn't know about Jesus, if Jesus was never mentioned to you, how could you be saved? How could you cry out on Jesus if you didn't know about Jesus? Right? So Paul's saying here, the simple scripture we pass over so many times, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. But if they don't believe, nothing happens. Hello? So many times you can ask people about God and you say, will, will, will God heal? Talking physical. And, and most people would answer and say, well, he's God. If God wants to, he can do anything. You know, they'd throw that general term at that. Well, he's God. I mean, he made the worlds and, you know, he could do anything. He could. But then if you ask him, ask them personal, will God heal you? Then all of a sudden, that's when you're going to find out what's sown in your heart. Because if you've been taught all your life that healing isn't a free gift, then what's going to happen is doubt and unbelief is immediately going to rise up and it's going to steal the believing, which is going to steal the salvation, which is going to steal the power. So what I said last week that you got to do some homework on, you've got to really find what you're believing in your heart. Because a lot of times, I mean, here's one. Mondays. I was always taught you never pour concrete on Monday. <laughs> Can I have an amen, Nick? <laughs> but how many of you know if something goes wrong, you say, oh, that's Monday. What does, it, what does Monday have to do with anything? But you see, you get those things sowed in you, right? Things that we believe, things that get into our lives, worm their way in through whatever. Well, if it could happen, it's going to happen. Things that we say all the time that, that get down in our heart that become a, a basis of our faith and our belief, and it's not merited on the truth of God's word. Like I said, you could have been set under some bad teaching. A pastor could have taught. If you pray, and listen to me, folks, I'm just, don't, don't, please, don't get under condemnation, all right? And I'm not like got it all figured out. 
All right. I, I got I got doubts and unbeliefs and things in my own heart that I'm trying to work out. I'm not trying to sit up here like I'm the great, smart, like high minded preacher that's got it all figured out. But I'm just telling you, if you pray. Father, I'm sick. And I just I, I ask you right now, if it be thy will, heal me. You're sunk. You shot yourself in the foot right there. Because you're not basing your prayer upon truth. You're basing your prayer upon whatever God's whim may be that moment. I've heard people pray some really dumb prayers. One time when I was in Bulgaria and uh, we, were, we were in a Bible school and I was supposed to preach that night and uh, it just so happened that the main preacher that was supposed to go got sick and didn't make the flight. And so they turned to me and said, okay, you're going to have to teach. And I said, well, how long am I, what do we mean teach? What do you, you know, like you was, we we're going to do just because we're just going to do like an evangelistic service or something? No, no. He said, you have to teach the Bible school students two hours every day for the week. And I was like, whoa, man, I better, you know, I better get something together, you know. And so uh, anyway, so there was another guy on the plane and I said to him, I said, well, are you going to help me in the services and stuff like that? I said, I don't know how many people are going to be there. We're going to pray for people, you know. I need you to, you know, help me. And he says, well, listen to me. <laughs> he said, well, I'm not praying for anybody pontifically. And so I just was like, oh, okay. So then I go over there. And I, I, I got out my <laughs> dictionary. <laughs> I started looking, pontifically. What would pontifically mean? No. <laughs> so I'm like, what? And so then... I got to look in the word up, you know, and it, and it, and it, and it, pon, the word pontiff comes from the word pon, that we get pontoon. And it's between the water and the deck, you know, the pontoon. So I realized what this guy was saying. He was saying, I'm not going to stand in between God and the people and pray. So he was a, I mean, this guy was a big theological, you know, Muck, muck. And so I went to the scriptures over, and I don't remember exactly where it's in Numbers, where uh, the plague had come up on the children of Israel, and, and Moses told uh, Aaron to get a fire pan and put incense in it and go out in the midst of the people so that the plague wouldn't kill everybody. And so I just went to him, the guy, and I brought out the scriptures, and I showed him what the word says. And I said, wait a minute, I, I mean, isn't this our job? to help people in their relationship with God and to help people come in contact with God. And as the ministers, aren't in that what we're supposed to do? And so if we're praying for people, it's, you know, yeah, it may be technically pontific because we're between the people and God and there's the pontoon. And I mean, you know, uh, I said, I don't, you know, I don't want to challenge you too hard here, but I understand that's what the Word says. And so that night, Services, we begin to have services, we begin to pray for people. I was laying hands on people, praying for people. And in a minute, I looked down at the end of the line, and there was the guy, and he was coming down the line praying for people. And so he came to me after service and said, I just wanted you to know, you, you, you know, you challenged me on my theology, and, and I saw what it said in the Word, and I see that what I've done all these years is wrong. Okay, so what happened? The gospel was preached. The guy heard the Word. The guy grabbed hold of the Word. He saw what really was the truth of the Word. And then so he, therefore, started walking in it, and there was victory. But prior to that, his teaching was, and his theology was, I'm not going to lay hands on anybody. Okay? 
So what I'm saying is, how did he get that? I don't know where he was taught that. may have been taught that in seminary. But the point being, you can't base your theology, you can't base your, uh, your faith on anything other than what the Word of God says. But we got to know what the Word says. So we can't pray if it be thy will, because Jesus in Matthew 8, when the leper came to him, he says, Lord, will you, will you, you, know, will you heal me? And he says, if, if you're willing, will you heal me? And Jesus says, I'm willing. So he automatically right there said what the will of God was. There's no sick people in heaven. If sickness was of the will of God, there'd be sick people in heaven. Nobody goes to heaven expecting to see a hospital. Right? So my point is, we have to look down into our heart and see where is it? What's going on down there? Because whatever we're believing is what's bringing salvation or death into our life. You know, I was trying to to do a little welding this morning. And it was, you know, kind of wet and misty. And, and the mist had blown into the shop and the, the welding table was wet. And I knew what was going to happen. I knew I was going to get the power. <laughs> but I needed to get this thing welded. And I just knew I was just going to grit my teeth and just do it. And, and there was, I was trying to weld a bolt, the head of a bolt on a flat piece. I mean, there's nothing to hold anything. I had to just put my finger on it. So I put my finger on it. And I said, okay, here it comes, you know. And I stuck that rod to it, and boy, it just lit me up. I just held on because I had to get it welded. And then it, you know, then I had I had four of them I had to weld. So after I got the first one, then I knew I was going to get the, what was going to come the second one. The third one. And so I, you know, I get to feel the power. I knew what was about to come. I knew the power was going. Man, and it just hit me while I was doing that. I'm getting shocked. And it just hit me. I said, man, that's the way the word works. When you know you got the word sown in your heart, then you're going to start feeling some power. It's going to start coming through. It's going to start charging your system. Things are going to start to happen because your faith is working the Word. Okay? Let me show you another one here. Romans 12.1. Scripture we hear quoted all the time. Romans 12.1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this is the whole principle of what renewing the mind's all about. Now, so many times we just think about, we just got to change our thinking, but it's not really changing our thinking, it's changing our believing. It's different. It's changing our root believing. There's things that I've done or said, and then I had to stop myself and say, that's not what I believe. Like it's Monday, everything's going to go bad today. And I'll stop myself, no, that's not what the Word says. It's not right. You may have said that out of your mouth. That ain't what's going on. Shut up. You know what the Word says. And I turn it around, and that's called renewing your mind. That's all, simple, that's all it simply is. Getting the truth of God's Word coming out of your mouth and stopping the negative and turning it around, and eventually it's going to all change. Amen? The Scripture here that we've been confessing, the good hand of God is upon me, and I am blessed. Well, are you blessed or not? Are you blessed by what you see or are you blessed by what you know in your heart? One of the old great generals of faith, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, he used to get up and, and he'd say, my, I don't, he said, he said I, don't, uh, I don't let my body tell me how I feel. I tell my body how I feel. And, you know, I'm not where he is or was, you know, 
And then sometimes I get up and my body hurts and I say, wow, you know, what did I do? Right? But the principle is, is you either, either circumstances and situations are going to rule your life or faith in the word of God is going to rule your life. And circumstances and situations and anything that you can see can change. Right? It's subject to the, it's subject to the power of God. It's subject to the supernatural. It's got to change. If you're not blessed and you say, no, wait a minute, God, your word says I'm blessed. When I got saved, I've entered into the blessed God category. And so therefore, I am blessed. I am blessed because I am a child of God. Let's go back to Proverbs 4, 20. It says, my son, give attention to my words and incline your ears to my saying. Give attention to my words, words, seeds being sown in your heart. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. So where we're sowing the seed, in our heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. The heart is the determining factor of what your faith is and what your belief is. And it says that when your heart has been kept, that it brings health to all your flesh. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I believe my Bible's true. And you can go through all kinds of things and try to say, well, that's not really translated correctly, this, that, and the other. But I just tell you, I just believe my Bible's true. And if it says that if my heart has the word sown in it, it's going to bring health to my flesh, then that's a good place to start. Are we growing the seed of the word of God? Are we growing cuckleburrs? Let's look at it differently. Go to Mark chapter 4. Now, I know I've been over these things, but we're going to keep going over them until all of a sudden I see the, the bright light shine in your eyes, and you're like, holy cow, I got that. You're never going to reap a harvest where no seed is planted. What kind of a farmer would buy a farm, go out there into his field, look at his field, and say, man, it's going to be a good crop this year, but he never put any seed in? What if you went to the co-op, sat down at the co-op, talked with all the other farmers, asked them what they're going to plant this year? What kind of seed are you going to go? Are you going to use that hybrid over there? Are you going to use this? What are you going to use? Oh, we're going to use this. We're going to plant this. What kind of fertilizer are you going to put out? Oh, we're going to use this fertilizer. We're going to use that fertilizer. Oh, okay, great. Went out there and said, yeah, let's say I'm going to get me a great crop this year. But he never put any seed in the ground. He never put any effort to what he, the knowledge that he had. What if he was too scared to sow the seed? What if he bought the sacks of seed? I was talking to a guy the other day who, plant, who was planting cabbage. I don't know anything about vegetables, but he was planting cabbage. And he showed me a pack. I guarantee it wasn't any bigger than that book, a package of seeds. And, and I was looking at it. I said, yeah. I said, man, what are you using this for your garden or what? I mean, you know, I mean, seeds in there. And he says, that package you're holding in your hand was $1,700. Man, <laughs> he said they're expensive, and I said, "Well, what's going to be your yield, your return on this?" He said, "Well, if everything hits right, we could get thirty-five thousand dollars an acre off this." But folks, I want to tell you something. That takes a lot of faith to get you a sack right there of seeds that cost that much and go out there and stick it in the ground, right? What if a bird eats it? 
So he didn't, so let's just say he didn't plant it. Let's just say he bought it and he took the sack home and they all held it and they put it down there and they looked at it and prayed over it. Whoo, Lord, that's going to be some good. But they never put it in the ground. Right? And then wondered why they didn't get the return on the crop because they didn't put any seed in the ground. And the seed that's in you is what you truly believe. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to deviate here just for a second because this has hit me. There's a difference between what you believe and what you're trying to mental assent to. Because what you're trying to mental assent to, you don't really believe it's true. You're just saying it because you want it to be true, but you hadn't had time to take root in your heart and develop and really become. People tell me all the time, man, I got I to gotta come back to church. I got to get in church. I need to develop a habit of coming to church. People tell me that all the time. And I just smile, say, yeah, God bless, right? But what happens is sometimes we get out of the habit of doing something, and then it just is so easy not to. And in some way, I think I'm doing bad because of the broadcast and the television, you know, the YouTube channel. You can sit at home, watch. You don't have to come fellowship with us to make forth that effort and do that. You just do it like that and say, oh, I got the work. But what happens is a lot of times it's like mental ascending. You're saying, yeah, I need to, but you don't do anything about it. Okay, that's the mental ascent. You're not really, it's not really something that drives you in faith. You see, I believe when I come in here tonight, I mean, believe me, folks, I could stay at home, right? My body telling me that, just the day, I was tired. But I knew that when I come here, it's like, it's like swimming in the pool of the Holy Ghost. I knew all I got to do is get here and get that seat. I just got to get my wife to play. I just got to get the band going. I got to hear Brandy and Timothy playing and singing, and I just got to get something going. And then the anointing is going to fall, and it's going to be good, and I want to be in this corporate anointing with all of y'all, right? And so my faith, my faith drives me because I know that's what's going to happen. I know God's going to speak to me. I know I'm going to feel energized, and, and the Holy Ghost is going to do things, and and you, you with me? Okay. So, but mental ascent would be saying, yeah, I, man, we ought to go to church. But faith, you, you push past and you get there. Well, it's the same with anything else. You can, you, can, you can talk up God all you want to. But if it's just mental ascent, it's not really the faith that drives you. Then it's not faith. All right? Remember the sower, Mark 4? Did we get there? Mark 4, 13. Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, then how will you understand all the parables? Jesus said, everything's tied into the whole key of understanding that the sower sows the word. That if you don't have the word sown in your heart, that's the whole key to everything. And if you don't understand this principle, you're not going to understand most anything else in the word. Now think about this. If... Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of salvation to everyone who believes. He, say, he stated that, that the words that you're going to believe are the power are going to come into your life. And then he's talking about sowing the seed here. Well, then he's saying, look, the whole kingdom operates this way. The kingdom of God operates this way. It's not, like I said, you've got you to take miracles, faith healing and miracles and sit over here. But I'm talking about every one of the believers in Jesus Christ. I don't care who you are, what denomination you're from, a believer in Jesus Christ. Does he have the right to be healed? 
Did salvation on the cross bring forth spiritual healing and physical healing? Well, we're going to go over that, probably not much tonight, but I mean, you can go to Isaiah 53, you can look at all the scriptures. Why did Jesus heal? I've had people tell me, well, Jesus healed and did those miracles because he was showing forth that he was the son of God. And that's why that happened. And then as soon as he was gone, then, you know, the miracle ceased. And I'm like, well, that doesn't line up with the word because the disciples healed afterwards. And then why did he send the disciples out healing if it was only to show that Jesus was the son of God? Why did he do that? You know, and people try to worm around all this and work around and say this, that and the other. But the truth of the matter is, is it's all doubt and unbelief for and excuses for not sowing seed within our own heart and seeing the word of God come about because he plainly tells us that the sower sows the word. But it's going to fall on different type soils. So that's our hearts. I've seen people get in bitterness, get in anger, get in unforgiveness. And, and you can see, you know, it's almost like you just see the light turned off on the inside of them. Something's wrong. Something happens. Something goes wrong inside their system. And that's no position to be fighting from. We've got to keep our hearts clean. And as much as it may pain you to forgive, forgiveness is, man, got to have it because you've got to have that plot of earth clean. Otherwise, the seed, you can get up every morning and quote the scripture, speak the scriptures, plant seeds, get in the word, speak the truth of words. God, this is what your word says, this is what your word says. But if it just keeps falling on the hard ground and the birds just keep coming and eating it, then the next morning you're still not going to have no crop. You think that guy planting those cabbage seeds didn't watch over his crop pretty, pretty good? I mean, he was out there trying to keep every bug off of it and everything else in the world to, 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 to grow a crop, right? But we let, we let some yahoo say something to us that causes doubt and unbelief and steal the word in our heart. We let something go on, something happen, some... Something, some situation, some circumstance come into our life that begins to steal the word from us because then we're focused on that. <laughs> Angry, fighting, wrestling, whatever. And we got to focus over here while the word's being eaten by some dumb devil over here. And it's not until we start to realize, man, we're, we got to watch our hearts. We got to make sure. I mean, let the other person think they're right. Oh, just go ahead, brother. God bless you, ma. I got gardening to do. Got time mess with you. Right? Now, I got some gardening I'm doing over here, man. I ain't got time mess with that stuff and get over there and get in your fight and your schism and everything else that's going on over here. I'm staying right here. I'm going, oh, I'm guarding, guarding my heart and my crows might be flying around or something. Ain't nothing going to steal my seed. Right? We start getting attentive like that and watching over it like that. Oh, man, we're going to start walking real tenderly. I'm telling y'all, you listen. The one thing that, you know, I don't ever say anything, but you just can't even believe what it's like being a life of a preacher. You cannot imagine in a week how many things come up and try to steal everything to me that y'all just going to come in here one Sunday morning and there ain't nobody behind the pulpit and y'all going to be wondering where Pastor Robert is and he just, if I listen to it, I just leave. And you'd never find me. I would be like, no way. I'd go off the grid and I'd never be found again. 
deep, deep in the jungle somewhere, preaching to the monkeys or something, you know. But I'm just saying, because it, it wants to steal the word, it wants to steal the seed. I gotta, and I got to be sharp at all times. With everything going on with my family, with everything going on, I got to be sharp at all times. And my wife and I do. We have to stay on top of things because, man, it's going to come in. And I know what the real ultimate goal is. So the gospel won't be preached because if the gospel's preached, salvation's going to come to people who believe. It's a simple principle. And that's just life. That's just the way it goes. Now, go to Mark chapter 9. Mark 9. And I want to finish up here. Jesus said, right, if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Truth will set you free. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak, there's spirit in their life. The words that Jesus spoke, the promises he made, they're spiritual, and they have the ability to bring life to you, such as believe in me that I'm the Son of God, and you shall be saved. It's a spiritual word. I know I've told you all this one, but, you know, it's like, it's like all my stories are coming back up, and I get to tell them again. So just act like you know it. Never heard it. But I was preaching in the jails years ago, and that's where I learned to preach and cut my teeth in there and seeing what went on in the jails. And so I was preaching in the jail, and they were out, I was locked up out in the sally port with about 30 guys, and it was just me. And uh, so I, I was trying to come up with something novel, and, and preach to these guys, but on a level that I knew that, you know, they could grab hold of. And so I, I said, the guy, the guy uh, stepped out of the sally port and said, Robert, we got a car, the, the jailer said, we got a car coming in, we got a, a, a prisoner coming in, you got five minutes. I said, five minutes? Well, I'm, I mean, I hadn't even gotten started. How was I going to preach anything in five minutes? And so I just said to the guys, I said, so the door shut. And there was this moment of silence, and then everybody looked at me. I was standing up against the other wall, and they're all looking at me. And I said, you got five minutes, five minutes to make a choice, five minutes to heaven or hell. Five minutes, it's all you got to make a choice for heaven or hell. Five minutes. And they said, what do you mean? I said, imagine like this. Imagine that, that, that there was a password to get into heaven, and you didn't know the password. Well, I shouldn't have said that because when I said that, I started a mass riot because they thought that I said there was a password to get into heaven, not what if. So all of a sudden they said, what do you mean, preacher? There's a password to get in heaven? Tell us what the password is. What do you mean? And they just went crazy. And they just started coming at me. And I said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And they said, tell us a password. Tell us a password. And they got five minutes. Tell us a password. And they just went crazy and they just got violent. And I stepped back and I said, come on, guys. I said, if, and if there was a password, it would be Jesus. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. And it just came over them, and 17 men stepped up and said, we want to give our lives to Jesus right now. It was the biggest altar call I ever had. It all took place in five minutes over something that I missaid, went crazy. 17 people gave their lives to Jesus right there. I prayed over them. We said, amen. The car pulls up. The jetter steps out. They all go back to their cell. And in came the car, and I had to leave. Took place. 15 minutes, I was out of there. 17 people. I walked out the car, and I was like, well, Lord, what happened? How did that happen, and could that ever be duplicated? You know? I mean, have I caught hold of something here? 
But what was it? They believed at that moment, they're, they're, it just happened that that moment it brought excitement and anticipation. And when I said what I said and they misheard it, it just hit. And then when I said Jesus, that word Jesus brought 17 people to salvation because they believed that he was the son of God. You see, the power of salvation happened instantly. So why did Jesus just walk around and look at people and say, be healed? Go find me a long prayer that Jesus prayed over anybody that got healed in this Bible. Go find me a long prayer, him sitting there calling down this, that, and the other, and whatever. He just said, be healed. Or he said, which is easier for me to say your sins be forgiven or be healed? What? Oh, that's a whole other message right there. Your sins be forgiven or be healed? In other words, he's looking at it all in one package. We're the ones separating it all up. Let me get here. Mark chapter 9. And when he came to the, uh, I'm in verse 14, 9, 14. Now, when he came, the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, the scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to, and to greet him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whatever it, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, become rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. No, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus give his disciples authority to go around all the cities and to heal? Don't you think it's interesting here that when Jesus comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration, the first thing he asks the scribes, what are you saying to those guys? In other words, I've been teaching them. I've been sowing good seed in them. And what did you bunch of yahoos just say to them? Whatever they said to them caused them to doubt so much that they could not heal that, that kid, which they were commanded to do. Tell me words aren't powerful. Tell me that doubt, the devil coming in there to steal the seed that was sown in the heart. You've got guys that have gone out, laid hands on the sick, seen them healed because Jesus already sent them to, from city to city. They've been operating in the gift of, in, the, in the power of God, seeing miracles take place. But because the scribes, who are the scribes, the religious leaders, the, the, the upper crust, the, 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 the theologians of the day, they started probably... I'm just going to, I have to paint with a big brush here, but probably they shot some word at him or they said, well, wait a minute. That's not why, you know, you're taking that out of text. That's not really what Isaiah meant. Or they started doing something that got the disciples confused because they were just fishermen walking around saying, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. Be healed. Be healed. I'll be healed. Because they simply took it by faith. But now they can't get, they can't get this boy, the devil cast out of this kid. Jesus doesn't like it. He's mad about it. So look at this. So he answered and said, Oh, faithless generation. Oh, faithless generation. Oh, faithless generation. Oh, faithless generation. He didn't say, you bunch of sinners, you bunch of no goods, you bunch of theologians. He said, you faithless people. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here. And they brought to him. And when he saw him, he immediately the spirit convulsed. He fell on the ground. He wallowed and foamed at the mouth. He asked the father, how long has this been happening? He said, well, from childhood. He often is thrown down into the fire and the water, destroying. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Why? Because that ties right back up with what Paul said in Romans 1.16. It's the power of salvation to everyone who believes. Jesus said, if you can believe, 
all things are possible. Because if you can take the promises of God and if you can put your faith in them, truly revelational faith and grab hold of it and sow seed in your heart, it's going to produce. Now, I love this response. He says, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That guy got it right. That guy got it right. In other words, he's saying, you're God, I believe you're God, and you can do something, but I got some doubt and unbelief in me. So he was praying the right prayer. I got to break some chains, get some doubt and unbelief off of me. Now, let's read on. So when Jesus saw the people running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. That's probably the longest worded prayer I've ever found. And he became as a dead, came as one dead, so that many said he is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand, he lifted him up, and he arose. And when he came to the house, the disciples said, why couldn't we cast it out? So he said to them, this kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So now I've heard preachers and people take this and turn it all around and put it into a works by saying, well, you've got to, you know, you've got to be prayed up and you have got to fast it and prayed so that you're prepared to deal with certain situations. You can't just pray for anybody. You've got to be prayed up. But let me ask you a question. Think about this. What is prayer, which would be communication, conversation, and fellowship with the Lord, right? Could be, I don't know, sowing seed. Could be... I don't know, something else. But that's, the, in generally, that's what prayer would be, right? And what does fasting do? If you go read, study fasting, fasting is to get you disciplined. Fasting doesn't do anything to make God's hand move. The Bible says there's only one thing that moves the hand of God. Faith, right? What does fasting do? Fasting gets you disciplined. Fasting makes you crucify your flesh. Fasting makes you make your body shut up and come submitted to your spirit, man, so that your flesh doesn't rule. So both of those things, prayer and fasting, don't have anything to do with moving the hand of God. It has getting you lined up to walk in what the gospel says. So basically what Jesus said to him is, if you want to be casting out devils and operating like this, you got to, you know, you got to get yourself straight. You got to get your thinking straight because you just boys just got talked out of it by the, the, the scribes over there. You got to get yourself more disciplined. Why didn't you say to the scribe, shut up? Why didn't you say to the scribe, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus? Because you guys have been feeding your flesh, and so therefore you listen to the flesh. Listen. Think right now of your favorite dessert, okay? Whatever your favorite dessert would be. And don't get all high and mighty on me and say, oh, I'm immune from sugar and nothing <laughs> tempts me. Don't say that. Don't give me that line. I mean, you know, if you, 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 you know how strong are you going to be if you go to Habe's Bakery? Okay? So let me, if I want to teach you the quick, fast way to do fasting, okay? This is Robert's Rules of Fasting 101, okay? So let's just say, let me just say, it's a, it's, it's a um, what is it? Lemon Twist over at Habe's. 
If you've never eaten one, don't. Yeah, that'd be the end of it, okay? Well, let's just say that's what you want. Let's just say that's your deal. Go buy a box of them. A box. Get you, get you man, get you a whole box of them. Bring them home. Get you a cup of coffee, make it. Open up that box. Smell. Bring that smell into your nostrils. Sip on the coffee. Imagine how good that's going to take. Wait till you start to salivate and it's coming down the sides. Then take your napkin, wipe off that, that salivation off the side of your mouth, put that box down, take it outside, and throw it in the trash can. You'll kill some flesh. Flesh should be screaming. Flesh should be screaming. What is that? And then immediately thought, you could have given those to somebody. Somebody would have taken them. You could have been a blessing. You just wasted the Lord's money on that. You could have done that. No, no, you just kill flesh. You murdered it. You destroyed it. He said, well, that's just crazy. Try it a few times. Watch how disciplined your flesh gets. Just watch how disciplined your flesh gets. You got a favorite TV program you like? It's the new, it's the ending. Uh, what do they call it when it? The finale. It's the season finale. Put it on. Get your, get your coffee. Get your, get, your, get your bowl of ice cream. Whatever you got right there. Get all ready for the movie. Set it on. Right when it gets on there, turn it off and go to bed. You kill some flesh. See, I'm into radical fasting. Don't tell me you gave up Brussels sprouts for a week. You know? Don't tell me that. I'm talking about radical fasting. I'm talking about then you go in there and you get down on your knees and you read your Bible. You do exactly the opposite of what your flesh wanted to do. That kills the flesh. That puts you in a place to where then you're having fellowship. And you may start out your fellowship with the Lord murmuring, man, that was a good box of donuts. I can't believe I threw that box of donuts in the trash over there like that. Oh, my goodness gracious. That may be what your prayer and communication is starting with the Lord. Okay, but I want to tell you something. Some flesh died. I mean, you dropped pounds, fell off of control, and you let your flesh know that your spirit's ruling you. And you said, that's the most ridiculous I've ever heard. Listen, it works. For me, I just have to keep my flesh under control. And how do I keep my flesh under control? I kill it. I find something that it really wants, and I won't let it have it. And I said, no, my spirit man's in charge. This is what we're going to do. I want to get angry, and I don't get angry. So I spend, I spend an hour in there praying for the person who I'm angry at. That's how you kill flesh. That's what Jesus and whole, all of Mark, or Luke 9 here, or where was that, Mark 9, all of Mark 9 is about. The scribes talked them out of it. They had it. They had it going. They talked them out of it. Doubt and unbelief came in them. The man prays and says, Lord, help my unbelief. Jesus said, that's right, because anybody that can operate in the power of God if you just will believe, it will happen. And then I'm telling you, he gets down here and he says, look, this, this, kind, of, this kind of stuff doesn't come out without except prayer and fasting. Unless you get your, your spirit man ruling your body, you're not going to have success. And if you do it, and you continue to do it, flesh dies, spirit rises. Word begins to work, salvation comes. But it's easy to listen to the flesh, and it's easy to talk ourselves out of it. 
man, I tell you what, sometimes my flesh is so smart. It just worms itself around and, you know, and I don't even realize what's happening. And then all of a sudden I'm just like slipped off the side of the tank into the mud. And I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I wet? And then I realized that that did it. And I was like, I can't believe you did this to me. Right? But we got to get home and say, no, no, no. Your spirit, man, that same spirit. I believe it. First John 4, 4 says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. Right? The greater one on the inside of us. I mean, are we Christians? Are we born again? Are we saved? Does the Spirit of God live on the inside of us? It is truly 1 Corinthians 3.16, right? That we are the temple of the living God and the Spirit of God lives in us? Is that the truth? Or is this just some kind of fairy tale we're living? Okay? So, I didn't write it, so don't be mad at me. I'm only preaching it. Because if your flesh wants to rise up, say, preacher, meddling where you shouldn't. Cut my donuts out. <laughs> the other day, I, I happened to be going through Castroville, and I started to stop because my flesh was kind of whiny that day. I was whining about something. And I said, as I drove by, I said, do you want me to go into Habeas? I'll go in there, and I'll just smell the place. I'll let you see it, and I'm going to leave. Do you want me to do that? I said, why don't you just shut up right now? I talk to myself like I do, a, like you do a kid, you know. You want some of this? I'll do it. I'll hurt you. I'll go in there. I'll buy a dozen donuts and throw them out. You watch me. And, man, it's just like death, just silence went in the truck. There was no more, no more mouthing, no more nothing going on. It was amazing. It's like, yeah, I teach you, but you know I'll do it. I'm telling you, if you do that, you can you see unbelievable results. <laughs> Amen? Okay, so again, we're going to work on this. Like I said, at some point, things are going to start to connect. At some point, we're going to make a shift in what we're doing. But right now, we're going to sow, we're going to sow, we're going to dig, we're going to get out cuckabers, we're going to keep sowing, we're going to keep sowing, we're going to keep digging. We're going to get in there and get what the Holy Ghost wants us, and then we're going to start seeing all kinds of things, miracles flying around. Amen? Amen. So look at the person and say, get ready. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, Bill, help us. Take up our offering tonight. Y'all got to be the only church in the world that I just wouldn't even take up their offering on Wednesday night, but y'all are all like, go to me and take up the offering. <laughs> get some dirty looks when I say that. Bless God. Sowing seed, it works. Not ashamed of the gospel. The power of God, those who believe. Okay, so Sunday, uh, the Frasers are going to be here. We'll get to hear some stories of what's going on and what's taking place and with them and everything in Guatemala. So put your hand on your offering. Let's pray. Father, I just declare right now in the name of Jesus, everything that's been in the bucket and everything that's going in the bucket, Lord, right now. I just declare, Lord, they is blessed. These are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Everything's their hands touches prospers because that's what your word tells us. Lord, I declare that they are highly favored and blessed in every decision that they make and everything that they do. And so, Lord, I praise you for it. Bless them now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.